welcome to School Psych Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We're excited tonight to be back and, and chatting. My name is Rachel. Uh, I'm a school psychologist working in Maryland. I'm going to pass it over to Rebecca, who's going to tell everybody how to participate tonight if you're watching live. Rebecca. Hi, everybody. Welcome. I'm Rebecca. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Connecticut, and I'm happy to have you here with us tonight. If you are watching live, please log in to your YouTube account and you can comment right alongside the video. We'll be looking there for questions and comments. And also, if you are watching uh, the YouTube video later in time, you can still add comments and they will remain there alongside the video so that we can reply and get back to you if there's anything um, that we can help with. Also, if you have questions that you'd like to share more privately, you can message us, message us on either of the two Facebook pages, the School Psych Podcast page or School Psyched Your School Psychologist, and on Twitter using the hashtag Psyched Podcast. I'll be looking for notifications and look forward to this conversation. And now I will hand off to Eric, who will introduce our wonderful guest. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, my name is Eric, and I'm a school psychologist also in the state of Connecticut. And we're excited to have Dr. John Murphy with us this evening. And one of the things that I'm excited about is to talk about his book, Solution-Focused um, Therapy. Uh, it, it just, when I think of counseling and therapy in the school psychology uh, world, I often think that we we end up doing sort of random acts of counseling and random acts of support and these lunch bunches and and yet we have to write specific goal based um, uh, goals for counseling and and so sometimes measuring growth and getting baselines and then really focusing on the solution and and uh, the therapeutic goals. Um, that end sort of eludes us sometimes, I think, as practitioners. So I'm excited to to have uh, Dr. Murphy with us tonight. And just a little bit about him as we get started. Uh, Dr. John Murphy is a professor of psychology and counseling at the University of Central Arkansas. He's a former NASP uh, School Psychologist of the Year finalist and an internationally recognized practitioner, author, and trainer of collaborative solution-focused approaches with young people, families, and school problems. He's taught in public schools and served as a public school psychologist full-time in the past and is now a professor. And Dr. Murphy continues to provide therapeutic and consultation services to young people, adults, families, and schools, and other agencies. His books have been translated into multiple languages, and uh, his award-winning book, Solution-Focused Counseling in Schools, is uh, the title of the one that I, I uh, started to reference. Um, so we're excited to have you here, John. Uh, thank you for joining us and welcome. Oh, it's good to be here. I look forward to the conversation. I, I like talking about this stuff. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I really look forward to, uh, to a, a, you know, a good and hopefully useful conversation. Great. Well, I'm wondering just... Um, as a as a practitioner, uh, you know, former practitioner and, and uh, professor, um, how did you get into sort of this solution focused approach? And what um, maybe where could we start like an introduction into uh, what that is about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I will say I'm I'm still a practitioner because I still see clients and I still consult with schools. Um, that's that's really important to me. And um, honestly, as many uh, of the opportunities that I've had to to speak and write and uh, teach this stuff all over the world, uh, just sitting across from people 
uh, trying to help them get from one place to another. Uh, this this what we what we call counseling or therapy or intervention is is still really the uh, most gratifying aspect of the work. Um, yeah, as far as how I came to this, I was full time in a district like many of us that had a very heavy assessment load, and I would meet with these students, asking them questions from the Wexler or achievement tests and what have you, and realizing that yes, they did have serious academic issues, but they were also dealing with a lot of social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. And I felt like simply focusing mostly on the academics, while helpful, uh, was not everything I might be able to offer uh, for them and, and everything school could offer. And so I really started to try to like uh, sneak these little questions in between like picture arrangement and similarities on the, on the Wexler. And really we ended up having some good conversations, but for me, a lot of those questions were just kind of random and they, they didn't have a great deal of direction to them. Um, and so I began searching for questions and sort of structures for uh, therapeutic conversations that I could still use very briefly, but again, would have some kind of uh, direction and proven track record. And I found brief therapies. So uh, one was called Strategic Brief Therapy, developed out of the Mental Research Institute in Palo Alto, California. And as it turns out, uh, solution-focused brief therapy, as it was called, and, and still is called, uh, that was developed in Milwaukee, was also based on the kind of the brief therapy work that they were doing in uh, Palo Alto at the Mental Research Institute. And um, Steve DeShazer and Insu Kimberg and colleagues in Milwaukee in the late 70s had developed this. And I happened on it around, uh, I want to say it was about 1982, um, and it may be even 81, but it's right when I started. And so, you know, please don't get your calculator out and, and add all that up. It was a while, it was a few years ago, you know, and, and I discovered this group in Milwaukee who were doing this work that they called solution focused breathe therapy. And that's where I found that kind of structured way to have a really short conversation about what someone wanted more of in their lives and what they already had to help them achieve that. Uh, questions like, um, you know, which one of your classes is going just a little better than the rest? And these were conversations that I could have, again, you know, between subtests that I was administering or on the way back to the classroom, uh, even on the playground or the lunchroom uh, for a few minutes. And they were more than random. They, they had direction and they were focused on trying to build on, on what students uh, or parents were already doing or teachers already doing toward their uh, kind of hoped for outcomes or, or toward making things better for themselves. And so once I found that, um, I, you know, I started sliding it in and over time, 
but we were able to hire a few more school psychs. We were able to move more toward a school-based mental health approach. We still had a bunch of assessments, of course, but uh, we just had more opportunities to do that. And uh, in a few years, I moved to the high school where I did even more counseling. And that, that really led to this, the, the first book I did called Solution Focused Counseling in Middle and High Schools. And then these current editions really just expanded that to, um, to elementary schools. And um, yeah, I mean, those, those, those books sort of describe uh, just some of the basics uh, of, of this way of working. Um, but it's really just about finding out what people want from me and my services and then honoring that and trying to locate or identify aspects of themselves or their lives that might help support their movement in that direction. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of a, a bit of an overview about how I came to it. And obviously, I found it useful enough where I've just continued to, to do it and um, certainly not suggesting that it's better than other approaches because research basically says that that most of these bona fide, established, evidence-based approaches, uh, whether it's CBT or solution-focused or person-centered, are, are all pretty much equally effective, um, providing that we establish decent relationships with clients and some of those other common factors. But uh, so there, Eric, I mean, you know, that, that kind of is a bit of an overview on, on how I came to it and continue to use it. I love it. And I uh, really love, you know, the the practical comment that you have to sneak these things in between block design and similarities or, you know, absolutely. Yeah. And well, well, for me, it was it was either either I was going to be able to be a school psychologist and not just a school psychometrist. And again, I don't say that disrespectfully, but it was important for me to to try and find a way to do that while still maintaining my workload and, and being able to, uh, again, you know, complete that kind of work. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, um, that, that, that's the only way I could figure out how to do it. And, um, and, you know, to this day, those, those short, I call them chats, you know, like a one minute or two minute chat, I still, really anchor into that kind of, uh, very condensed format. And, and I, you know, I talk about this in my trainings where if, if you're a school psychologist and you're waiting for that great time to open up, to be able to do the more, I guess, you know, uh, traditional types of therapy or counseling where you, you have 40 minutes or 50 minutes then, you know, it could be a long wait. And so I was just, yeah, again, yeah, really just trying to be opportunistic, I guess, and just pounce and use any opportunity that, that I could. And I found that, that, um, sure. I mean, one or two minutes is, is not going to give you maybe what you could get in 10 or 20 or, or 45, but, but it sure is better than nothing. Cause you know, in solution-focused work, even if someone does not answer a question, they've heard the question. And the question can plant a seed that 
is possible for them to re-engage in um, later that day or even the next day. Um, so, you know, when you say to somebody, uh, what's going to be the first small sign that things are moving a little more in the direction you want or that things are getting just a touch better in your math class, maybe where they're having some behavior problems, even if they say, I don't know, which of course a lot of kids, a lot of kids do. That's the first response, and and so um, you know I talk a lot about you know responding to don't know answers and and d- just don't assume that that's the end of the subject and move move on. Just pause and give people time and things like that. But even if somebody does say I don't know, it's just it plants a seed and and I don't know. You know if I mean we can hope that they might re-engage with that question at some point. Um, so yeah, it was for me, it was either try to do some level of psychology and counseling or or not. And that's that's what led me to this. I love that. I, I'm I'm wondering because sometimes when I see students, they, you know, have been referred, someone's asked them to come see me. What they don't know beyond what they what steps they can take sometimes is actually that there's a problem at all. So I wonder if part of, or maybe the initial phase of meeting with a student does involve identifying the problem or can you, can you start with a solutions, um, a solutions focused approach just even without, in the absence of a problem, even just in terms of positive goal setting, does there have to be a problem? I guess that's my question. <laughs> well, I think there has to be something someone wants to change or something some someone wants to be different. Now, whether they consider it a problem is, I guess, up to their language. And a lot of times young people will not necessarily, especially if they're referred by someone else, which which they almost always are. And, you know, very few people walking down the hall, you know, at 11 o'clock and say, oh, man, I, you know, I think I could use a little counseling. You know, that's very rare. And it's understandable, you know, that they would come in maybe um, either not sure why they got there, if they're referred by a teacher or a parent, uh, or they would disagree that it, in fact, represents a problem. Or they would say, yes, there's a problem, but it's not with me. It's my cranky uh, controlling parents or teachers or whatever it is. Again, I'm not trying to stereotype. I'm, I'm just trying to acknowledge that um, it's, it should be perfectly understandable when students referred by someone else don't come to us just, you know, saying, bring it on, you know, let's, let's get to work. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that if, if I felt coerced, you know, into counseling. So uh, Rebecca, back to that great question also um, of does there need to be a, uh, a problem per se? And, you know, I, I think people, even in the solution focused community are approach things a little bit differently. And so some, uh, practitioners, solution-focused practitioners would say, um, you know, what what can I what, what can I do for you, or how can I help you? And and that almost always 
leads to some type of description of the problem. Uh, and, you know, they'll, they'll talk about the impact it has on them and that kind of thing. And, and that's, of course, fine. And that's still fault. That's, you know, considered the first step for a lot of people with solution focused practice. Uh, an, an, another way to do it is, and Steve DeShazer, one of the co-developers of solution focused practice, Steve DeShazer and Sue Kimberg, they're, they, they ended up marrying and now they're both deceased at this point, but um, they, in the, in their Milwaukee group, as I call them, um, you know, who developed these ideas, Steve would start off, uh, by basically, um, jump right in with, um, like a scaling question that said on a zero to 10 scale, where 10 is where you want things to be in regard to what you're concerned about right now. And zero is the opposite of that or the worst that things could be, where would you put yourself now? And let's say a client would say out of, I'd say a three. And Steve would say, well, tell me what a four might look like. And then they would, and that was, that was it. So now that's a, that's a, a question that, that does not even require you to know anything about the problem. What you're, what you're learning about is the solution or the goal. And so you know, here's, here's what I usually do. I, I'll usually, um, of course, you know, we'll visit with, with someone and use manners and say, uh, you know, I like to ask them about it. it you got to read the situation, but with a lot of, a lot of young people, I'll say, well, you know, what kinds of things do you just like to do outside of school? You know, instead of us just jumping right in, I'm just curious. And, and, you know, find out a little bit about kind of who they are and what makes them excited and, and what they just like doing. And, and that's a sometimes considered small talk, but I, I don't think it's just benign small talk. I think it's um, a way to let somebody, one, ease into the conversation. It also helps me meet the person and not just meet the problem. And because those are two very different things. And, you know, sometimes most of the time I discover things that they like that, that we might come back to in, in our conversations. Um, you know, somebody loves to, I don't know, you know, they, they ice skate, you know, or they, they knit or they play bass guitar or on and on and on, you name it. And, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for us to, to bring that into the conversation at some point when we try to find things in their lives that, that represent resources that they could draw on to, um, to maybe apply toward their goal. Um, so, so besides, you know, that for a few minutes, maybe two or three minutes, but somewhere within the first five, five minutes, I'll ask some variation of the question, what are your best hopes from coming here? What are your best hopes from, from this meeting, from talking with me? Um, another way you could ask that is if, if this talk that we're doing would end up being useful to you, how would you know that? What would be different to tell you it was useful? And so those, and there are a lot of variations of those questions, but 
what we're trying to do right from the start is to invite some type of hoped for outcome that would define a useful or successful or, um, I don't know, you know, helpful conversation, that kind of thing. So, so that's how we start. And even though those are uh, questions that it, that if you just look at the text of those questions, they are asking for a future focused description of a difference or something better. The majority of people will start by telling you what their problem is. They'll, even if you say, what do you want from this? Most people will tell you what they, what they don't want more of in their lives. And that's entirely understandable because, you know, they're struggling and they're wrestling with a, a problem and a difficulty that um, they haven't been able to resolve to, to their or someone else's satisfaction. And, and so, so one misunderstanding about solution-focused work, a big misconception uh, or a myth is that solution-focused practitioners ignore, minimize, or deny a problem. You know, they, they just push people into talking about solutions or the future. And that's absolutely not the case. Um, and so, you know, we always listen to and acknowledge and, um, you know, do what good counselors of any orientation do, which is, is to acknowledge uh, the struggle. And, um, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll say to students, oh, that's, that sounds awful, you know, um, when it does and 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 but but you know the difference between solution focused work and more uh traditional problem focused approaches is not that part all approaches usually do that when somebody describes pain and hurtful experiences and difficulties the difference is what happens after that and and a problem focused approach is probably going to pursue more details about the problem, history, presumed causes, triggers, um, antecedents, you know, what have you. Again, those, those approaches have been proven to be useful. And I won't keep saying, I'm not suggest, I, but I, I want to reiterate, I'm not suggesting this is a better, it's just a different approach. So that's the end. I, I've already said that twice. And I think, you know, you know so, you know, I, I want everybody to realize that. Um, and so it, what happens after in a problem focused approach, as I just described, is is different. And in a solution focused approach. I want to ask them what they want instead. And that's a big difference. And so once once they do talk about their problem, which is fine, you know, going back to your question, Rebecca, it, it's fine to get kind of a handle on what they've been struggling with. But in this work, we want to get to what they want instead of that. And, there, and therefore, we ask questions like that. <laughs> and what would you prefer to be feeling? What would you prefer to be doing differently? Uh, what would you prefer if they describe a relational problem? What would you prefer that relationship to look like that would be different than what it looks like now. Um, or, and then, you know, we moved to maybe like that, you know, with miracle question, um, you know, and you were sleeping tonight. And of course we asked that in a, a more prolonged way to give people a chance to kind of 
envision it. You know, you go home from this session, you go through the evening, you have dinner, and you go to sleep. And while you are sleeping, <laughs> this miracle happens. And the problem that led you to me and to this meeting vanishes just like that. But when you wake up, you don't know that that happened because you were sleeping. So what would be the very first indication or sign that would tell you that this miracle happened and the problem that brought you here was no longer there? You know, it, did, it just vanished. It was, uh, and, and so that's that question. And some people ask what they would call a tomorrow question, which sort of kind of jumps over the part about the miracle and the problem that you, that brought you here is vanishes. It'll just say it, you know, if somebody says, I want school to be better. Or I want to, I want to be happier or I want to feel more confident. Let's say then that tomorrow question would say, if you woke up tomorrow morning feeling more confident, what's the very first thing you would notice? And then we go on to invite a very detailed description of what that, that solution description, if you will, or that goal, um, or in solution-focused work, it's called a preferred future. And that's a detailed description of what someone wants from counseling. And so, you know, what would you notice first? Then what? Uh, uh, how would your parents re react? Um, what would that be like for you? We're trying to get a multi-dimensional, wide and deep, detailed description of what someone wants to be different in their lives. And, and from a solution-focused standpoint, the very act of, of them describing that makes it more likely that they'll notice it and, and kind of gravitate toward thinking more about it as a function of, of talking about it. So that, that's, we covered a few different things there in response to, to that question, Rebecca, but um, it, was there any other part of that that you wanted to go, come back to? Well, you mentioned, because I work with elementary age students mostly at school, um, and I notice that often they do believe that the problem isn't with everyone else, you know, and, and for them, it's, it's real, you know, so their teacher is doing this. And so I, I um, ha can imagine that they might say, well, when I wake up, if there were a miracle, I'd notice that my teacher was suddenly really nice to me. And my parents, they didn't, you know, they didn't make me do X, Y, Z. So how do you help them move from there to a solution that they have control over? Because it seems like they feel as though other people um, would change if a miracle happened. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, it's not just limited to kids <laughs> because, I mean, you know, there are definitely problems I've experienced that I thought, you know, if my wife just tweaked it a little bit, you know, here or there, you know, it, it would. <laughs> so, I mean, just again, just a little shout out to, you know, the kids are just, um, you know, they're putting the training wheels on 
to something we do <laughs> through the rest of our lives, which is um, it, it's easy to do. And, you know, hey, let's face it. I mean, um, that it we we're social beings and we live in interaction and relationships. And, and so that, that, that definitely makes some sense, but yeah, you know, uh, I talk about kind of three aspects of, um, well, at least three aspects of, of a, an effective preferred future. Uh, one is that it's, uh, what I call start-based which means we're talking about the presence or start of something you want and not just my parents won't be yelling at me. My teachers won't be so mean. Uh, I won't be depressed. We're trying to encourage people to describe the presence again or something that they want rather than, than what they don't want. Um, uh, the, the other, it, well, it has to be significant. It has to be important to them. And that's not, that's not a given sometimes in schools, um, because they are referred, you know, by other people. Um, so we need to work with, uh, all of the clients, um, teachers, parents to, to get things that are meaningful for them, um, for each of them. And, uh, so, so, you know, start-based, um, uh, it, it, the other one is what I would call like social, um, it, it, we want, we want a description of, of how, uh, the future will look and how it will impact their relationships with other people. So let's stay with that one. Cause that one really targets your question. Uh, when they say my teacher will be nice, um, and describe something that's, that's not directly related to something they could do then in solution focused work instead of you know we we would always ask that you know asking you know versus tell for one thing i i don't know what i would tell somebody you know to do because i don't know enough about the situations but i can ask them a question that might help them um and and the question i i might ask would be um what difference will that make for you if your teacher was nicer. And so what we're trying to do is a lot of times that will lead to somebody describing an emotional state. Um, I don't know, I'd, I'd be happier or, um, or maybe they'll start by describing, you know, again, what they don't want. I, I wouldn't be so um, angry in school or, or, you know, I wouldn't be waiting for the teacher to get on me for something or something like that. Um, and then we can say, what, you know, what would you rather, you know, be happening instead? And then they, they might say, well, the teacher, I don't know, might just, you know, leave me alone, you know, or, or might even say something nice to me, or I might feel like doing more work. And then so you see what we're, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're just asking questions that invite, that don't force, but that invite someone to describe something that's a little closer to being manageable uh, by something that, that they could do differently. Um, and, uh, and so all of a sudden, 
now we can talk about times. Tell me about a time in the last few days when your teacher was just a little tiny bit nicer to you or, you know, using their words, because that's another uh, common solution focused technique. Uh, you know, we call it echoing uh, or mirroring as in a mirror that you would look at and just reflect. And so again, you know, it's not the only counseling approach that does this, but, but we formulate the next question largely from this, from the client's previous answer. And, and when I use client, I'm talking about student, teacher, parent, whoever's sitting in front of us, you know, who we're working with. And that's kind of a big deal in this approach too, because it really keeps things client centered and client directed. And it, and it lets people know that this conversation is about them and what they want and, and not about what, what I would prefer to ask about or um, what I think would be best for them. So, so I, again, Rebecca, I mean, each situation is different. Um, wow. That sounds like a psychologist, doesn't it? Um, but it's true. And so some of these, you know, these examples, you know, we're just trying to kind of briefly, you know, address some of those things, um, you know, and, and, the nuanced kind of ways that we would phrase a question um, would, of course, depend on who's sitting in front of us. But but did that uh, address that in a way that was uh, okay for you as far as, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I like that, to, to think about the start behaviors or, or what would start for them and um, – that makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I think too, you know, it, it sounds like there's a lot of like gentle, you know, reframing, right? <laughs> if they're, if they're turned this way, looking at this by asking a question, you can have them, you know, turned around a little bit to look at it from a different perspective. Yeah. 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 I mean, I did. Yeah. I, I, I would call it like, yeah, I think that word gentle is 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 perfect because it, it's a. I mean, I I use the term gentle persistence. Um, you know, if we if we don't get um, answers, let's say go back to that miracle question, and somebody says, ah, oh, you know, I get that, you know, and then and then we can it was just maybe gently we maybe we try another kind of a question. What what would be a, a a sign or two that things are, are just, just a little better. And, and just the same with that start based, you know, we, we, we gently invite, nudge, encourage. Um, and the, and the reason for that is because there is some motivational research that says people will persist longer when they're moving towards something they want than they might, when they're moving away from something they don't want. And plus, just from a language standpoint, it's much easier to describe what will replace depression than what being less depressed means. So how can you see non-depression? You know, we're going for, for like being able to picture concrete description. You know, I... I wouldn't be able to look out on a classroom of kids 
and and be able to accurately say this kid's not depressed this one's not depressed this one's not depressed um i might be better able to say um this person's more energetic this person's more energetic and this person's more energetic because they're writing more or they're looking more or their eyes are open or they're so so the rationale for some of this is more than just oh i i would prefer them to talk about the future and what they want i mean there are some linguistic uh reasons there are some some evidence-based reasons to encourage people to to describe in detail if possible what they want more of in their lives uh, and there 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 are some uh, qualitative studies in in psychotherapy that 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 say that uh, clients that spend more time clients and therapists who spend more time discussing strengths and resources, those clients experience better outcomes than clients and therapists that spend more time talking about what's wrong with them and what they want uh, less of in their lives. And, and so, um, yeah, there's some, again, sort of, sort of linguistic uh, communication type research that, that supports that sort of thing. Awesome. We have a, an audience question um, that came through that I thought was appropriate, especially because we've had um, ACT uh, speakers on. But are you, are you familiar with the ACT matrix and do you see similarities between that and, and your approach? Yeah, I love that question. And, and by the way, I, I uh, resonate very much with ACT um, on, a, on a personal level. Um, I've, um, I've spent some, some uh, time with Kelly Wilson, who's one of the co-developers of ACT with Steve Hayes and um, uh, lo love Kelly to death. I mean, uh, now I know that's not relevant to the question, but, um, but one of the reasons I think we, we get along well is because uh, we do place a premium on honoring what people want their lives to look like. And, and how they might better align their behavior with those values. And the language is different. And there, there are definitely different differences between um, ACT and, and solution-focused. You know, the matrix, um, hexaplex model, you know, I, solution-focused it, it is not... Uh, near that theoretical, okay? Solution-focused is, is and ACT is very pragmatic too, but solution-focused, um, sure, has some theories. I just mentioned one that if people talk more about and discuss more about what they want, they're more likely to actually do and take action toward that. So, I mean, that's can be considered theoretical, but, um, you know, I think the similarities that I see again are are just encouraging um, encouraging people to to be very forthright and and descri and descriptive about what they want their lives to look like and 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 what they want to be different. Um, and a, and a lot of that comes from their their deep values. What what they want their lives to stand for, which of course is, is a big part of ACT. 
Um, and, and then, a, and, and the other part is, is that alignment between their actions and their descriptions of what they want their lives to look like. That one difference is, is that solution focus is just not quite as directive about, uh, like using the values grid, for example, an act where you, you line up and you say family, spirituality, friends, work, and then you fill out how your, how your behavior aligns with those <clears throat> solution focuses is not, you know, it doesn't structure it out like that. You know, this approach, it basically, um, it assumes that, that, there's a lot of trust in clients to do some of that work themselves, even young people. Um, although they, you know, they do need a little more direction. So, so, uh, you know, I, I get, I think I see similarities about a real, real respect for um, honoring what people want their lives to look like. Um, and, and both I think have roots that are very I would say kind of behavioral where, you know, actions are what are what change things for people in, in, in their lives. And, and certainly thoughts and feelings are all connected to, to actions, but I think both approaches, um, you know, definitely encourage people to act in ways that help them realize their goals and values, if that makes sense. Awesome. Um, I had a question. I was just, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about the, the, there's kind of two different paths under which students come to me for counseling. One is kind of that, um, you know, referral from a teacher parent that there's, you know, they want somebody to talk to kind of, kind of a general, you know, I'm concerned about this. Would you mind seeing them for counseling? And I can usually do that through kind of general education, um, you know, send homework permission slip, you know, I'm going to meet with them for so many sessions type of thing. And then we have kind of that related services counseling um, that's going on the IEP for, you know, this number of sessions um, per month, it's going to be this long, it's a little bit more structured, we have IEP goals that these are what we're working on. And the whole premise of the, the related service is that, you know, they require that service in order to access their special education services. So I'm more like focused and honed in on what is it social emotional wise that is preventing the child from partaking in their IEP, from partaking in their services and, and, and receiving that. So it's usually, you know, the kid is shutting down during um, instruction and their head's on the, the table or, you know, they're throwing the desk during instruction. So I'm very focused on, you know, accessing that IEP. That's kind of the main goal. Do you feel like um, solution focused is, is well equipped for both of those kind of avenues? Do you think it would be a better fit for you know, a gen ed type of, not necessarily gen ed, but a, but a less structured type of um, thing outside of an IEP, or could that be kind of adapted? And and I'm just wondering too, of the, the kid that I have an IEP goal, maybe they transfer in with an IEP and, you know, I'm asking these questions and it's kind of diverting away from maybe the things that I'm, you know, obligated to work on. Does that make sense? It, it does. Uh, well, I mean, it, I'll say something, then you can tell me if it, if what I say makes sense. <laughs> so you're the best judge of that. Um, but I, yeah, and I, I've definitely, um, you know, discussed this with, with school psychs and, 
um, and school-based mental health therapists who participate in IEPs and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I here's what I say. I, I say this kind of work applies to any situation in which someone expresses some desire for a change. Now, I'm, I'm really not trying to be a smart aleck when I say that because that captures lots and lots of situations. Um, I do think that it requires a bit more um, a kind of work in some ways to, to align an approach that is, that kind of floats with the client's goal of an approach that's so client centered that um, unless you frame the IEP objective for that relative for that related service as general as possible, which by the way, I would suggest no matter what kind of approach people use, because things change. Now, I'm not suggesting they change every week. And this week, the kids, you know, you're working with a student on uh, social skills. And and the week after that, you're working with them because their uh, parents have separated. And then the week after that, you're working with them uh, on completing more assignments. I, I don't mean radical changes like that. But, you know, life changes all the time. And the, the, one of the challenges, I, I'll put it that way, I started to say one of the problems, so just full disclosure, but one of the challenges, I think, with, with pre-established IEP goals is just that. Um, it's, it's, you know, do the goals actually hinder a more nimble, client-centered way of interacting with, with people who naturally... Uh, may slightly shift their priorities and and their needs. Um, so I, I've seen people do it both ways, Rachel. You know where, um, I mean, I've definitely seen people use, lots of people use solution-focused work uh, to address IEP uh, goals related to counseling. Um, the def- definitely. Um, I just think in that case, you know, it just requires a little bit of, um, again, I mean, I, I, I always suggest to people make the goal as general as you can for you and for your, for your clients. And that includes the student and, you know, the parent teachers, if they're involved in, you know, which is usually the case. I mean, this is, this problem didn't didn't occur outside of the context of some caregiver being concerned about. So they're usually involved in some way through a consultation or something like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It definitely applies to both. And, and really um, they're all about trying to help people get from point A to point B Um, in solution focused work. Speaking of point A and point B uh, the straightest line from A to B is found in these exceptions to the problem. Times when uh, the problem could have occurred, but did not occur. And so if we can find, and we know these things are happening, uh, and I don't mean that arrogantly. I mean, just the way life works, it, it it's fluctuating. 
And solution-focused practitioners are very vigilant and alert to those fluctuations in which the student has a slightly better day in class or they go a whole class period without a discipline problem, which for some students represents an exception at a time that goes a little better. Um, and so these, these again, in solution-focused work called exceptions to the problem or um, another variation is instances of that miracle description or instances of that that are happening even just a little bit. So if we can find those, uh, that's gold. Uh, and, and we're always looking for that the straightest line from A to B. Um, the reason I mention that when we talk about IEPs is a concern I've had in consulting with schools all over the place is that some school-based mental health programs that I've encountered um, do not have clear-cut exit criteria for kids. And I've seen kids, when I ask them, if I'm consulting with them, what's the average time your kids are in counseling? Sometimes they'll look at each other and it's like, I mean, in my mind, I'm like, that's not a trick question. I'm just curious around ballpark. And I don't mean this. I, I, I'm really not trying to be, again, I'm not trying to, to, um, to uh, minimize the difficulty of, of setting up those criteria. And I know sometimes it's hard to, you know, to terminate with some kids, but, but there are a lot of needs out there. And if we're not mindful of some kind of uh, criteria when good enough is enough to release this student so that there's room and opportunity for somebody else to get in, I think we can do a lot better than that. And so that's a concern I have. And, and you know, solution-focused work either uses, they, it, it's scaling is how we do that in solution-focused work and, and in a lot of other approaches too. And whether it's informal zero to 10 and asking people from the very start, if they say they're on a three on that number, we say, what would be a good enough number to consider our meetings useful enough for you to maybe give it a go on your own? Or so now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm condensing that conversation and they'll say maybe a seven. And so we, we, we want to, you know, I would call that, you know, you, 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 you establish exit criteria at entry. You start thinking about, you begin with the end in mind. And I have, I, again, I have some concerns over some of my experiences where I see kids just, just going on forever. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see any real clear cut. Now that, that takes us miles from your question, Rachel, but I'm, I'm just kind of piggybacking on that to, um, to highlight something that I think uh, schools that we really need to think about in, in schools. We have so many needs that um, we just, again, I think we need to kind of, you know, try to be leaner and, 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 and more and accountable basically for um, how we determine, you know, who gets these, these precious services that we offer. And, um, and how we can um, manage that, that exit um, termination process in a way that's, um, that's effective and, and mindful that um, anybody can benefit from, you know, from counseling. But uh, let's, let's try to be um, 
you know, let's try to set up a more differentiated kind of a system. So, so short answer is in both cases. Uh, you got, does that make sense, Rachel? Totally. And, um, you know, yeah, what you're saying is completely true because in my district, you know, once that counseling goes on the IEP, um, you generally, generally doesn't come off. I mean, every year you, you kind of make a new goal and, and, and it cycles on. And I think that's because a lot of times expectations of teachers and parents that if all the problems are not solved, then I'm not like, no, we can't, we can't take that away. But I totally understand what you're saying that, yeah, you, there's other kids and there's limited time and, you know, you need to get kind of good enough in some cases. And Rebecca, I know you're going to say something. And <laughs> please yes. um, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm aware we're run we're at the coming up towards the end, but I was wondering, and I, hate to put you on the spot, but I think this would be so cool. I was wondering if we could do a, like a, one of those two minute conversations, if I could pretend to be a student and up oh, your on mute. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I love that. I usually do that at first in, in my workshops and we always start with uh, that and Giralfum. So you bet. Um, okay. Yeah, good. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So one of the issues that I see more regularly lately, and I think many of us do, is anxiety. So um, kids out of anxiety um, having more trouble doing the things that would bring them um, more success in school. And so if I come to your office and let's say I'm in fifth grade. You want to play? You want to just role role play? Okay. Yes. I mean, you want to keep your name or a different one my name is fine let's can i be okay. in fifth grade you can be whatever you want okay fifth, fifth grade all right okay. okay hi rebecca thanks for coming in hi dr murphy yeah and so um yeah now i tell you what we're going to do given time we I, i'll really condense this what i call like this resource gathering phase or um it, it, but so we'll do that kind of quick um, so Rebecca, uh, I do appreciate you coming in and, um, it's nice to meet you. And, and speaking of meeting you, I just, before we jump into, you know, some of the concerns that you have, uh, and why you wanted to, to meet with me and why maybe some other people wanted you to, um, if you don't mind, I'm just curious, kind of like what something that you like to do outside of school, maybe something you enjoy doing or good at kind of outside of school? Well, I, I kind of like being with my dog. I like Ah. being home and I have a really sweet puppy and, and I like taking care of him. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, the dog's name? Kodak. Kodak. Okay. (laughs) What, what kind of a, do you know what kind of dog it is? I don't know, you know, all the breeds, but what kind of a dog is it? (laughs) He's a mini Bernadoodle. Mini Bernadoodle. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And and so, like, what kinds of things you do with the dog that it's, that's that's fun for you? Well, I have to make sure he always has water in his bowl, and I take him for walks, and I have to brush his hair. He has really long hair, and it gets tangled, so I brush it. Yeah. Wow. Um so you you do a lot to help the dog. It sounds like, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll bet you I'll bet you Kodak appreciates the walks and the the hair combing and the whole thing, <laughs> the hair brushing. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's cool. Um, 
well, hey, as far as us meeting like this, um, you know, I want this to be useful to you, okay? And so the only way I know how to do that is to ask you what you're hoping for from our talking together. So like if, you know, if our talks work the way you want them to work, um, you know, how, how would you know that? What would be different to tell you that it was helpful to, to talk like this? Well, I, I know my mom and dad want me to get better grades in school. And mm -hmm. my teacher's been telling me that I, I should participate more. And, and I just think it's hard for me. And I, and sometimes I just get really nervous and I, I, I feel like I, like I have, I can't talk in class. And so participation feels really uncomfortable and I'm not sure I want to do that. And maybe, you know, fifth grade just isn't for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, thanks for telling me, you know, like you, you said, you know, your mom and dad, I want you to get better grades and things like that. And, um, uh, but as far as just you, um, what, what's, what's one small thing you'd like to, to, to be different, uh, that you'd like to, to, to be different, um, change. I, I wish I could just feel better in school, like, okay. like more confident and just like I feel when I'm at home with Kodak. I wish I could feel like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like, this may sound like a weird question, but like on a zero to 10 scale, let's say zero, zero over here and 10 and 10 is just the way you want to feel in school. And zero is the exact opposite of that. Around where would you put yourself now? I'm like a three. Okay. Around a three. Yeah. Um, well, how would you know that like you got to maybe a three and a half? or a four, what would be different to tell you that? I guess I, I wouldn't have such a stomach ache in the morning and, and maybe it just wouldn't take me so long to remember what I need to pack in my backpack and, and maybe the day wouldn't feel so long and hard. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, Rebecca, I'm just, um, I'm curious about like a day over the last week or so that you can think of where maybe, you know, your, your, your stomach maybe was a little calmer than usual, or, you know, that you remembered more of the stuff to, you know, to pack. Um, just a, one of those mornings with it just went a tiny bit better. Um, yeah. There was a two hour delay not that long ago. And that was better because I had more time and ah. I got to class and I had all my things and it just felt like I could take my time. Okay. So you could take your time. Do you have any ideas on what might help give you a little more time in the morning? Like you had that time? No, I mean, when, when it's not a two hour delay, like even on a regular day, do you, what, what might help you get a little more time? What do you think? I guess I could wake up a little earlier and maybe not hit snooze. <laughs> ah. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, is that something that you might be willing to give a try to sometime this week? Yeah, I, I, okay. I could try. I could wake up a little earlier and see if I have that snow day feeling. Uh, well, I see we're at, I, I, I'm looking at the time too. So, so you know, it's, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me yeah. to just r- rush you too much. Right. But I get it. That but, you know, helpful. I'm also trying to, I was also trying to kind of, uh, you know, show the approach a little yeah. more, including the scaling question, which I might not have asked regularly. I might've just said, tell me about a time you've been a little calmer. Right. You, felt, you felt a little better. So we get to that exception. And then at the end, you know, um, what would it take to do to try that again or do a little more of it? So, so that was, totally. you know, that was kind of it. That was great. Thank you so much. Yeah, I could see that. I, I was trying to be my most difficult self too. So I, you, well, you, had well, yeah. <laughs> you, you were, you weren't, you weren't too difficult. So, uh, <laughs> okay. so you know, uh, try as you may, uh, <laughs> okay. it just, just might not be in the cards for you to be too difficult Rebecca. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, this has been really wonderful. I I I also um, know that you were recently at NASP. Do you do you know if that um, your presentation at NASP is recorded for people who want to uh, look at it after who weren't at NASP, maybe who want to? Oh, you know, I signed a release form to allow them to do that. That's great. I, but I don't recall any AV people in the back of the room that I usually see at NASP and, and other places that do the recording. Uh, so I, I can't. Okay. I can't say for sure, but it, it may well be. They may have they may have um, done that because, I, as I said, I signed the release for them to do that. And so the only thing I suggest is maybe checking with them. And um, I mean, that prompts me to to check, too, because you know, somebody else might have that question as well. So, yeah. That would be great. I highly recommend it. I watched for years ago, a few years ago now, um, your a NASP recording, um, and it was just great. So I recommend it to everyone um, out there. It was really helpful. Well, good. And that, you know, I'm glad to hear that. And um, uh, yeah, yeah, we have a little more time in workshops, <laughs> but... Yes. But no, this is this. I love this. This is just such a great idea. That the questions were fantastic. I, you know, I, I know, you know. I, I wish we could have even had more time for, um, for lots more. But uh, you know, I guess the idea here is just let's just stir it up a little bit and and uh, have a chance to visit. And so, yeah, glad we were able to do that. Thank you so much. It's yeah. been wonderful. Yeah. Well, me too. Thanks, folks, and and great to meet you. Yeah, and and good luck, and keep doing that great work out there. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much. I want to remind uh, viewers we will be back on 320 um, with Dr. Max Pearl on uh, polyvagal theory. So that should be interesting as well. But thank you so much. That was a great conversation. I loved that role play. It's it's hilarious that you think you're such a problem child. (laughs) Yeah, you're too nice. Kodak is a lucky dog. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank <laughs> you. All right, see you. <laughs> Good night, everybody.